Thanks, Joe and Helene. And hello to people joining us via live stream as well, as well as those here in the flesh, so to speak. Great to be here with you this morning. And hopefully, if you've been around church before, if you've not been around church before, these all these words might be new to you. But if you have been around before, you may have heard uh, that parable before. It's a good parable. It's a good story. It's a good way of thinking uh, about the gospel, about the kingdom, about the way that the word of God goes out, I think. The idea of uh, a sower, someone who distributes it out there. Uh, the idea of a seed, something that brings growth and life. Uh, and the idea of the harvest uh, being the result of that work that is put in. It's uh, familiar and full of good images. But as we begin to unpack and drill down into this parable a little bit more, I think what we'll find is that it runs slightly differently from what we might be used to from the Gospels. Uh, If you have been uh, either in one of our Bible studies or joining us weekly here at the moment, we've been going through Luke for a while. And you might be familiar with the kind of stories that we've come across where uh, Jesus encounters someone that person has a significant experience, whether it's a miracle that happens around them or some challenge that Jesus lays down to them. And then they do one of two things. They either become a follower and give up their lives to follow Jesus or they reject him and go away sad and disappointed. And we've been seeing all through Luke that Jesus is very divisive. There are a lot of conversion or rejection stories that happen. The person either converts or they turn away from him. Uh, Now those stories, as helpful as they are in helping us to understand the way that the gospel does work and that that is a big part of the gospel story, uh, they have a way of making insiders feel comfortable. Uh, You see, those kinds of stories where Jesus is seemingly dividing between believers and those who don't follow him uh, can help people who are inside the church say, yep, that's right, that's how it is, and we know that we're the good ones, because we're inside the church building. Of course we're insiders. We literally came through the door in order to be here. Uh, So we often think, and you can imagine it like this, about these stories, right? You're either on the inside, in which case you're in the green zone, or you're on the outside, in which case you're in the red zone. That's how the stories work. Uh, You know, it's like when you go through an electronic door, you scan your pass, the light flashes green, you come inside and off you go to eternal life. That's how a lot of the stories in the Gospels seem to work. Uh, And we like them as Christians because they're straightforward. There are no surprises to them. There are no unpleasant changes that are required from us or twists uh, that we discover things we didn't want to know about ourselves. Uh, But unfortunately, this is not one of those stories. Uh, You see, this is how this story runs that Jesus has just told. There are not two types of people, he says. There are four types of people. Uh, The gospel is heard by all of them. Now, one of the four rejects it out of hand straight away. Uh, Three of them hear it, respond, and everything looks good in the early days. But of those three... Two of them die out. Only one of them makes it to the finish. I see this story isn't about conversion. It's about perseverance and completion. So the visual for this one would look a bit more like this. I didn't try to cram text into those boxes, but hopefully you can see that now there are four boxes. Green makes it to the end. Green is what we've associated with being an insider before. Red doesn't even start. Right? Red doesn't even make it to the start, but yellow, the two yellow boxes in this parable, they begin the journey. They look good for a while, but they give up 
before reaching the end. See, just a little after this, in the next chapter, in Luke chapter 9, Jesus says to those thinking about following him, uh, no one who puts a hand to the plough and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. And this is the kind of idea uh, that he has. It's not just enough to look ready. It's not just enough to start. He's encouraging them to finish, to persevere to the end. That's what's happening here. So what we should have in our minds as we think about the parable of the sower is that the key to this is that the way you begin is not all that matters. And what that means is that if you imagine a church based on the people that Jesus is speaking about here, you can't work out who belongs by just looking at the role and seeing who has turned up the most times. That'll give you the green section, you know, green section, people who do make it to the end, But it will also give you the yellow section. If you just look at people who are coming to church uh, weekly for however long, it'll just tell you those who have started, those who have begun on that journey. So it will also include people who will fall away. Now he's not saying, and this is not the same as saying that there are people pretending to be Christians in the church, right? It's not just that they're kind of sneaking under the radar, undetected, and that you have people who aren't really following Jesus trying to look like followers of Jesus. That's not what he's talking about here. Uh, He does speak elsewhere about people who kind of sneak their way into uh, the flock, so like that wolves among sheep idea, uh, in order to try and uh, benefit for themselves at the expense of the flock. But that's not what he's talking about here. Uh, And he's not just saying that there will be people in the church who are not currently following Jesus, though that's also true. There will be people who come into the church and who are not followers of Jesus, and it's great that you're here if that's you. But what he is speaking about, particularly in this parable, is those who hear the word and respond, but do not go the distance. People who come to church, people who perhaps in their younger years were uh, very involved, very active, very passionate, but for one or another of the reasons that Jesus talks about here, have drifted away. Now, I'm into running. Uh, as some of you know, one of the best things about long distance running events is that if you make it to the end, you get a medal, right? See, most of us are used to watching the Olympics. In the Olympics, you don't have to be in the top three to get a medal. Uh, In the Olympics, you have to finish on the podium. The best thing about long distance running, at least the kind of events I do, is that everybody who makes it to the end uh, gets some kind of reward. I guess they just figure if the race is hard enough, uh, if you get to the end, you deserve a medal. Uh, But there are two reasons why you might not get one. Right? Two reasons why you might not receive one. One is the DNS. They did not start. And for a DNS, for one reason or another, there are always people who don't make it to a start line. So you like say 100 people sign up, maybe 20 of them don't even make it to the start line. Maybe they got injured, uh, maybe life got busy, other responsibilities came up. Uh, it doesn't matter what it is, you get a DNS against your name on the, uh, the results sheet. But the other one, which is even worse, is the DNF did not finish, right? Did not start is one thing. You can have a good reason for that. Did not finish means that you made it to the start. You did the training. You were there on the day. You got up early. You got all your gear. You got ready. Perhaps you had grandiose dreams of what you were going to achieve, but something went wrong. And it means that it doesn't matter how well you started or how hard you tried, you just couldn't continue. You didn't make it to the end. Now, nobody wants to get a DNF. You don't want to get a DNS either. You don't want to fail to start. But if you make it to the start line, you want to make it to the finish line. 
Otherwise, the whole thing is a waste of time. You don't want to be one of those people who leaves things half done. Now, that's what this passage is about. You see, our temptation, particularly when we are working our way through those stories that are about who's in and who's out, uh, is to simplify following Jesus just down to that first response to the gospel. To say, okay, so you heard, you believed, you're in, great, you're done. Uh, But this is one of those many places in the New Testament that speaks about the hard work of persevering to the end. Uh, So one of the challenges for us will be to shift ourselves out of the mindset of thinking that the right and wrong response to this passage is going to be obvious. Because the temptation for Christians who are used to thinking in terms of insider-outsider is to say, well, the people who aren't good soil are going to be obvious. We're going to tell straight away without any effort because they're going to be the people who are not like us. But that's not the case. The point of this passage is that the initial growth in each of those three types of soil looks good. So let's have a look at this parable. Now, you probably heard it just in, well, you have heard it, you heard it about five minutes ago, but in case you drifted off during the reading, uh, the parable goes a little bit like this. There is a farmer who is out sowing seed in his field. Now, this is the first century, you know, it's a couple of thousand years ago. There is no fancy machinery to help him achieve this task. He doesn't get to, you know, plough up the soil properly. He just uses oxen and whatnot. And to sow seed, he's literally got a sack of seed and he's out there just throwing seed out onto the soil by hand. And so as a result, it's going to land in some unhelpful places, no matter how well-intentioned he might be. Uh, So some of it falls on the hard-beaten paths. You can imagine uh, those paths running through fields where countless generations of feet had trod, uh, packing the soil nice and hard where it can't take root. Uh, Some of it falls on rocky soil where the roots can't go too deep uh, before having to spread out and stop. And some of it lands among the weeds where uh, they grow up uh, and choke the plant. And finally, some of it falls in good soil uh, where it's fruitful. So that's the soil. That's the story. It's just a picture of a farmer going out, sowing seeds, and those seeds either grow or they don't. In the middle, Jesus says a couple of cryptic things in verses 9 and 10, which you may have thought were unusual. Just park those to one side for a moment because we're going to come back to those at the end. But for now, we want to move on to the explanation. So after he's finished, he's told this story, he said these things, Jesus' disciples, you know, smiled and nodded and looked like they knew what was going on through the whole time. And then they pull him aside afterwards and say, "Uh, Lord, what exactly were you just talking about? Uh, why are you giving farming advice uh, in the middle of your sermon? And Jesus says, well, the whole thing was a metaphor. Uh, The seed, he says to them, is the word of God. The seed is the gospel. The seed is the good news about Jesus. More than that, the seed is the explanation of the full word of God. It's the whole history of salvation told uh, from generation to generation, from Genesis through to Revelation, every page of God's word. That's the seed. The seed is the word of God. Uh, The sower is anyone who shares the word of God. As Jesus in this case. It can be other people uh, as well. It'll be the disciples in time as they carry that message out afterwards. But then Jesus goes on to explain the four types of soil to his disciples. And each type of soil, he says, represents a different type of person. Uh, Really, it's not about the sower or the seed. The sower and the seed, you see, are exactly the same each time, right? It's the same farmer throwing the same seed to different kinds of people. It's the types of people who change. Uh, So the sower is anyone speaking God's truth. The seed is the truth 
and the recipients are the ones who are on view in this parable. So let's take a look and see what we can say. Four types of soil, four types of person. Uh, First of all, Jesus says, type number one is the seed that falls on the path. Now those ones, he says, are people who hear the word but it is snatched away uh, by the devil before it can take root. Now we might be tempted to hear that and say, oh well, that can hardly be considered their fault, can it? Uh, You know, it's hardly their fault, it gets snatched away from them. But I don't think that's really the point uh, of what he's saying. Remembering that we're looking at the soil and the point is the hardness. Right? The seed was able to be snatched away by the birds because the seed never took root in the soil. These are people who are hardened to hearing God's voice. That's a theme that comes up over and over in the Bible. We read about anyone who sets themselves against God as being hardened to hearing him speak. Uh, Their hearts are hard, uh, we hear. The perfect example is Pharaoh. Pharaoh, in the book of Exodus, uh, we read, hardened his heart so that he might not hear the warnings uh, that Moses gives him. So I think this first type is simply there to describe to us people who don't give the word a chance. People who aren't ready for a moment to consider that the claims Jesus makes might be real. People who come in with their minds already made up. And so the fate of the seed is set. It never has a chance because the hearer is simply not willing to listen. So that's the first type. The second type is the rocky ground. Now in our old house, uh, we used to have uh, a, a garden bed like this. It looked... Uh, it looked perfect, right? When we moved into the house, we had this little concrete-edged garden bed out the back door. You'd sort of have that kitchen at the back of the house. You'd walk out the back door. It's right there. So you're thinking, well, that's clearly where you're meant to grow vegetables or herbs or other things that can be eaten, which is really the only sort of plant worth growing. And so we had this garden bed that looked great, uh, but on closer examination, when you got out there, uh, you found that not only did it have a neat concrete edge, it also had a neat concrete base because it was not, in fact, a garden bed. It was a sand pit which had been left uh, to go to the wild and had filled with a couple of inches worth of soil. And what it meant is that if you put a plant in there, the roots would go down, they would hit the concrete, they would spread out to either side. Uh, and then, of course, in the summer when the Australian sun gets particularly warm, they would completely toast and die uh, because the roots could not escape Uh, from the sun. That's the second type of soil. The seed, Jesus says, falls on rocky soil, which means it can't take root. It never gets in too deep, right? So it might look like it's showing some growth, but the plant is weak. So what does that look like in a person? Well, in verse 13, it says, what it might look like in the beginning is that they receive the word with joy. So It's good to know straight away that we're not just talking about people with a superficial connection to the church. This is not a parable about people right out there on the fringes on the outside. They receive the word with joy. They might be some of the most enthusiastic Christians that you have ever seen. About the time when I was finishing uni, uh, there were a number of us who were talking about things 
about church, things about ministry, things about mission uh, and what that might mean for our lives. There was a bunch of us who were considering uh, different forms of ministry and some of them have gone on with that. I know some of my friends who are now uh, heading up churches, some of them have gone overseas uh, as missionaries, teaching in Bible colleges, uh, all of those kinds of things. But there are also some of them who are not even following Jesus anymore, uh, a little over 20 years later. See, they were enthusiastic, they were filled with joy, but the soil was shallow. And it's a great tragedy because it means as strong and healthy as that plant looked, it couldn't keep growing. In the beginning, it looked wonderful. So what went wrong? Well, in the story that Jesus tells here, it's because of the time of testing. Now, the time of testing could mean persecution, Uh, That's probably one way to think of it. That's what many of us probably think of, uh, but not necessarily. A time of testing, which I'm sure as we reflect on our own lives, we probably know, uh, could mean any of the difficulties of life. Because that's the thing about life, isn't it? Life doesn't always go the way that we planned. Sometimes things work, but sometimes things don't. Sometimes we or someone close to us has an accident. Perhaps we're laid up in hospital or at home for a long time. Uh, Perhaps we have financial setbacks. Perhaps we lose a job or an investment goes wrong. Maybe we feel that debt is out of control. The future is uncertain. We're unsure of what's going to happen. We lose a loved one. We have a sick child, a marriage breakdown. There's any number of things. All of them represent a crisis. We are chugging along with life and we are confronted by a crisis. All of us face crises of one kind or another. And when we do, when we hit a crisis in life, what do we do? What is our natural, instinctive, biological response? It's to pull back from everything that we think is non-essential so that we can focus on survival. And so in terms of our faith... What often happens is that the enthusiasm of our faith gets parked on the shelf. We justify that as saying, well, that was something that belonged uh, to our youth. That belonged to a time when we had more time and more energy and less of uh, these other things that we're facing. Now we have more important problems to deal with. And so that first rush of growth begins to wither in the sun. We start to question where God is when life is hard. Now, you may or may not feel like that connects with you in life where you are now. You may think that will never happen to you. That may be something that has already happened to you. But the question that this should prompt for us is, does your picture of God allow for suffering? Not in theory, not as something that happens to other people, but in reality. And when a time of crisis comes, as it will, either for you or people you care about, have you dug deep roots into the character and person of God? Or have you let them just kind of skirt around the outside of life and leaving the centre untouched? Never committing too fully of yourself, but just giving the appearance of growth. I think that's a great diagnostic for those of us who have been at church a while to think about how deeply are we truly throwing ourselves 
into our faith, into our worship of God, into our relationships with one another and how much we're holding back and leaving things on the surface. So that's the second type. The third one is the seed that falls among thorns. And Jesus says that these are people who hear, but as they go on their way, which is just a way of saying, as you go about life, as time passes, other things get in the way. As they live their life, there are distractions that pull them away from Jesus. I mean, this is how life works, isn't it? You know, when you are small, life is very simple. Life is very straightforward uh, when you are small. I know there are a number of small people, preschoolers, early primary kids, who will happily tell you that life is not uh, carefree because they get stopped from doing everything that they want to do. Uh, But it's not true. Too bad if you're a small person. Life is as simple as it's going to get uh, right now. It's actually quite straightforward. But the older that you get, the more complex that life gets, the more responsibilities that you have, the more pressure you're under, the more things there are competing for your time and your energy and the less time and energy you seem to have. And so for most of our lives, it seems as though we don't have time for half of the things that we would like to. And we say we will get to that a little bit down the track when life clears up a bit. And when I was a kid, uh, when I was in school, I was obsessed with cricket and rugby. I would watch as much as it was humanly possible to watch uh, when I wasn't out and playing myself. And back then, uh, you could only get whatever was on free-to-air TV. It was in those glorious days when just if it was on one of the four channels that we had, you could watch it, but otherwise, too bad. You read about it in the paper when those still existed uh, the next day. But now, thanks to live streaming and the internet, and again, special hello to those making good use of live streaming and the internet, uh, there is more sport than you could ever hope to watch. Uh, I thought I'd have a look because, you know, just to see what was happening uh, in the world of sport while I was writing this talk during the week. I found out uh, by checking on the ICC website, it's the International Cricket Council, if you're not a tragic, uh, they have a, an app which was streaming the Tier 3 World Cup qualifiers from East Asia uh, featuring the cricketing powerhouses of South Korea, Japan and Indonesia. And I could have sat down and watched every game of it, every second of play. There is endless sport being streamed over the internet non-stop. I probably would have as a kid, but life gets full. Who has the time just to sit down and watch things? That's what this parable is about. You know what it's like. You know that the gospel is true. You know that Jesus died and rose from the dead. You know that discipleship means following him. You have heard a million times the things that the Bible says about how time-consuming following Jesus is and how much of us it takes to persevere to the end. And you want to be a part of that. You want people to know you as a faithful follower of Jesus. But who has the time to do that well? Life is full. Life is so very full and life just keeps getting fuller. And the seed falls among thorns. And what are the thorns here? Uh, Well, Jesus calls them worries. He calls them riches and pleasures. And that catches a lot of things in life, doesn't it? Worries, riches and pleasures. Everyone has worries. Everyone has those things that bear us down. Uh, Do I have enough stored up for retirement? Are my family safe and well? Am I secure in this stage of life or the next? 
Is work going well? My career? Are we in the middle of disputes with other people relationally? Am I going to pass my exams? There are any number of things weighing on our shoulders day by day that rob us of that joy of faith. We all have worries. And then there's distractions and pleasures. Now, some are just necessary parts of life. Uh, Most of my Saturdays seem to disappear into things that the kids are doing. Uh, There's sport activities, uh, there's parties, there's lessons that they need to go to. You just drive them from one to the next. Uh, There are other things that relate to the choices that we make. Uh, I've got a friend who spends most of his free time restoring boats. Um, That's just what he likes to do. But that also means most of his weekends and holidays are gone. Uh, There are holidays that we want to go on. There are career progressions that we want to make. There are social activities uh, that we're thrown into. There are countless passionate Christians lost to careerism. There are countless passionate Christians lost in the pursuit of hobbies and holidays. And there are countless passionate Christians lost to relationships and family responsibilities. But the thing is, none of those things are bad. Right? None of them are wrong in themselves. And again, this is where we are tempted as people who are regulars at church to think that it's going to be obvious. We read this story of Jesus and we think, oh, weeds, the weeds must be big, bad, obvious things. The weeds means drug dealers and alcoholics and all of those things that other people probably do out there uh, if we ever met them. Uh, we think that they would be obvious. We think that they would be clearly wrong. But the weeds are just ordinary things that take over more of us than we have to give. See, talking about plants growing in the midst of weeds is an appropriate uh, metaphor that Jesus uses because there is really not that much difference between plants and weeds. Uh, A weed is just a plant growing in the wrong place. And what that means is that we actually need some discernment when we look at our own lives. We can't just trot along in life and think, well, If anything in my life was harmful to my faith, it would be obvious. Uh, There would be huge explosions going off. Uh, Jesus is talking about something that is a lot less like a train crash here as it is like carbon monoxide poisoning. You know, you get a situation where carbon monoxide is building up, perhaps there's an engine running and not uh, not enough ventilation. And so it starts to build up and people start to get those symptoms that don't seem that severe at first because you can't smell the gas, you can't see the gas, you just feel a bit lightheaded, a bit dizzy, uh, perhaps a bit sleepy. But ultimately it's fatal. It's not like an explosion though. Uh, it's a slow fade into nothingness. And that's the third type of soil. The seemingly harmless parts of life, the activities which in themselves represent nothing wrong, but when we give them more priority than they deserve, completely consume our lives till there is nothing left. And so we need discernment. We need to stop from time to time to think about how our lives reflect our priorities. And one great way to do this is to find someone you trust, find someone who knows you well and who you know will answer you honestly rather than just telling you what you want to hear and ask them what they think is most important to you in your life. Ask them to tell you what does it seem like you're pouring your energy and your life and your resources into and see what they say. But we need someone honest. 
uh, because one of the things we love to do uh, is lie to each other to make one another feel good. So that's the third type. And then finally, there's good soil. Finally, we hit some good news. Uh, Soil number four, there is some good soil. And how do you know it's good soil, Jesus says? Not because it turns up to church on Sunday, but by the results. He says that in a few ways. Now, it's not just that this fourth type of person hears the word of Jesus and believes it, uh, though they do do that, but they retain it. Uh, That means that they stop, they reflect, they remember, they apply it to their lives and so they persevere. It's not just about hearing but persevering. They keep going, they keep working, they keep growing all the way to the end. Now I think the big thing to notice is that they don't check in and assume that they've made it. Right? It's not about punching your card, making sure that your ticket is there uh, to get you to heaven. They are eager to keep growing and not only to keep growing themselves, but to help others to grow as well. And I think that's the crop idea. Do you notice that in the, uh, when Jesus is telling the story and he talks about the good soil, he says that it produces a crop a hundred times what was thrown, uh, sown and we just go, oh yeah, sure enough. You know, but when you plant one seed, you don't get a hundred plants. Uh, but I think that's what Jesus is talking about is that as we give ourselves to follow him, the outworking that we will see is that that is a blessing not just to ourselves, but to those around us as well. If we wholeheartedly embrace the gospel, and I don't just mean giving mental affirmation uh, to a preset list of truths, but embracing the character of Christ in our lives, it is a blessing not only to us, Uh, but to all those around us, both as we share that good news with them, but also as we serve one another in love, just as God has loved us, as we heard last week. And that is how a seed can yield a hundred times what was sown, as believers give their time, their energy, their material resources to invest in the lives of other people. So there's our four types of soil. So what do we do now? Well, now we jump back to those two verses that we skipped over in verses 9 and 10. I think verses 9 and 10 give us what we need to know in order to look at this parable with fresh eyes uh, and more importantly, hear it with fresh ears. Because Jesus says there, whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. Whoever is ready to hear this, let them hear. And that is the big part for all of us. Now, if you're here and you're a Christian, If you're here and you're a Christian and you've been cruising, uh, perhaps you've been faithful in rocking up at church, perhaps you do your duty on the roster every month, you've done your part. You like the gentle routine of church. You know, like the routine of church can be a bit like the ocean. If you've ever been by the ocean, you kind of watch the waves come in and recede and come in and recede. It's peaceful, it's calming, uh, all of those things. It's a bit like that going to church, isn't it? Every Sunday, you get up around the same time, you come in, you sing the familiar songs, you go home, you do it again and again. It's calming. It drifts us off to a spiritual sleep. Uh, This is a challenge for us to think about the way that we hear Jesus' words in this story. Are we more concerned with the comfort of routine or the return that the crop yields? Because the challenge here is not just to believe in the gospel. The challenge is not to be a Christian to punch our ticket for heaven, but to make sacrifices to invest in God's kingdom. So what does that look like for you? Because that's the question, isn't it? 
That could be a good starting point for discussion, for prayer, uh, as we go from here, as we meet in small groups, as we talk during the week. Uh, But I think it's striking that the first story, in fact, both of the two stories that Jesus tells immediately after this help illustrate this point, right? Jesus tells the parable of the sower. He says, whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. What's the first thing that he talks about? He talks about a lamp. A lamp is lit not to be hidden away. A lamp is lit to shine its light out to all people. Uh, That's what Christians are for. It means sharing the good news, but it doesn't just mean I'll wait for those opportunities for evangelism and then I'll shine my light. It means shaping our entire lives around gospel service. Because that was the second thing that he said straight after this story, wasn't it? You know, his mother and his brothers come to visit him and what does he say? Who are my mothers and brothers? Whoever hears the word of God and puts it into practice. Whoever obeys and lives for God's kingdom. Every Christian's life should be 100% built around serving Jesus and growing his people. So is yours. Now, if you're not a follower of Jesus, if you're here uh, and you're not following Jesus, if you've perhaps heard the gospel but haven't made your mind up, uh, I want to challenge you. What would it take for you to be willing to explore more deeply what he has to say? Because here's the thing I suspect, most of us like to think that we are open-minded. Most of us like to think uh, that we are reasonable people uh, and that we give everything due consideration before making logical and rational choices in every aspect of our lives. But the truth is, most of us don't like to change our mind. Most of us don't like to change the way that we think about things, basically because that's hard. If we change our mind about something, that means we might have to change the way that we live and that is hard and I don't really want to do that and that makes me uncomfortable and so I look for reasons to discount new information before it has even had a chance to sink in. Basically, not just when it comes to the gospel, but when it comes to most things in life, we're like the path. We have become hardened to hearing new things. And so I want to challenge you if for any reason... Uh, You're thinking what I've said is for other people, whether you think uh, that's because uh, you are not a follower of Jesus or whether that's because you are someone who thinks that there is no way you are anything but the brightest green of green uh, soil in those categories. I want to challenge you to at least spend some time thinking about it. Try to articulate why you think the way that you do uh, before setting it aside for somebody else. Because overall, I think the biggest challenge that all of us face, whether you are a fired up Christian or a lukewarm Christian, uh, or not a Christian at all, is that ultimately what Jesus does best is challenge us to rethink the way we are living. So that's probably a good place to leave things this morning. Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. So what have we heard? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your love. We thank you for your Son. Uh, We thank you for the good news, uh, but Lord, we know that the words good news don't do justice uh, to the transformation of things that has begun in Jesus. Uh, We pray that we would recognize him uh, for what he is, who he is, not just the institutor uh, of a nice weekend habit, but as the one who transforms every aspect of our world, of our lives, of who we are. And Lord, we pray that you'll help us to see how that works in our lives, how that works in our workplace. Uh, in our families, in our free time, uh, in our pursuit uh, of leisure and happiness. 
Lord, we pray that you would help us to see how the fact that Jesus is king, that he has risen from the dead and rules over all things, uh, shapes the way that we treat each one of those. Help us to be people who, knowing your love for us, love one another so fiercely uh, that your love might be made known through us as we go about our lives and that the crop may bear a hundred times what was sown through each one of us. So, Father, we commit these things and our very selves to you in Jesus' name. Amen.